Let us hear God's word. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter, arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable, a story. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This man who complained to Jesus because he did not get half the inheritance, I know that man. In fact, I know him very well, for I am he. I remember, for example, for example, when I was about 11, maybe 12 years of age, saying to my mother, Mom, make Ken share the root beer with me. He's drinking the whole bottle. And my overworked mother replied, Now you two get along. Which meant that Ken got the root beer and I got along. We learn very early, don't we, that life isn't fair. There may be someone sitting here this morning who hoped that you would make it to the pinnacle of your profession, but they kept promoting people younger and less qualified than you, and now you're stuck in a cubicle off on the side of the office. Life isn't fair. Your neighbors are flying to Europe today while you're stuck at home pulling weeds under the hot sun. Life isn't fair. You look at some of your friends and and you think to yourself, oh, they have it so easy while you have perhaps gone through a messy divorce You've had life-threatening surgery. Your kids no longer speak to you. Isn't it true that we all echo this man's question? At one time or another, we have all tugged at God's sleeve. Lord, I need more money. 
give me a bigger home. I want better health. And Jesus responds with a story which contains two key questions. Greed asks the first question, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? Oh yes, I'm pretty well off, but I just read the Jerusalem Street Journal this morning. And they warned that I I need to have a lot more in the bank if I expect to eat, drink, and be merry when I retire. Greed asks the first question, what should I do? How can I protect my investments? How can I make more and more and more? Now, had you known this farmer personally, you might question why Jesus called him greedy. He not only put his kids through college, he put his grandkids through college. He was at the synagogue on every Sabbath. He was faithful in his worship. His wall at home was studded with certificates of appreciation from all of the boards that he served on, and yet it never occurred to him that God might have something to do with his wealth. For when he talks about expanding his empire, he talks only to himself. In just three sentences, he uses the pronouns I and my 11 times. And when all of the pronouns are in the first person singular, I have a problem, not only with ego, but with greed. Now, let me hasten to say there's nothing godless about money, and there's nothing especially godly about not having any. You remember Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof? He's walking around inside his ramshackle barn, no doubt wishing that he could build a bigger barn as well, a better barn. And he says to God, of course, there's no shame in being poor. But there's no great honor either. And there's no shame in building bigger barns or adding an extra room or setting financial goals or buying a bigger house. But you cannot miss the pathos of a person whose soul shrinks into the shape of a dollar sign. And if that happens, Jesus doesn't mince words. You fool. He says that with sorrow, not with contempt. For Jesus takes no delight in someone who is made in the image of God, morphing into the shape of a barn. Well, if greed asks the first question, what should I do with my crops, my possessions, my wealth, God asks the second question, whose will they be? The barn builder heard that question on the last night of his life. Jesus tells this story so you and I won't wait until we die to answer one of the most important questions we will ever face 
Whose will they be? This life, these possessions, all of my stuff. Like all pastors, I have sat at the bedside when people die. And uh, here's the thing. They all die with empty hands. If in life they have grasped at profit and pleasure, if in life their pronouns are all I, me, and mine, their empty hands suggest that they turn their life into a cash register. And now the till is empty. But if in life they open their hands to bless the children, to feed the hungry, to hug the grieving, to welcome the stranger, then their hands reflect the one who has nail-scarred hands. The one who, if I may paraphrase the Bible, emptied his barn and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christian barn builders know that we don't own the barn. God's name is on the deed, and I'm just leasing the space for threescore years and ten, a few more in my case. God is the owner, I'm the manager, or to use the biblical word, I'm the steward. Stewards model their lives after the one who tells this story, the one whose hands broke bread and fish to feed the hungry, whose feet hustle, hustle to heal the sick and the blind, whose eyes flash with anger at the rip-off artists in the temple, whose lips offered forgiveness to a prostitute, and whose heart throbbed with compassion for every person he met. In stark contrast with the barn builder in this story, whose paramount passion was to eat, drink, and be merry, Jesus said, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. His work is now our work. So let's ask both of these questions in this story, but in reverse order. First, whose will it be? This life with its barns full of time, talent, and treasure. Whose will it be? When God is the answer to that question, then ask, what shall I do? Because then, what you do will yield an eternal return on your earthly investment. Amen.